0: Maine, a place where you can find breathtaking scenery from sandy beaches, ice cap mountains, and pristine lakes. A place you can enjoy a delicious lobster while sipping on one of Maine's finest craft brews and saving room for a blueberry pie. But the one thing many people may not know about Maine is the artistry and craftsmanship that comes with the culture of this beautiful state. From the Industrial Revolution to now, Maine has continued to build its economy through makers, and there are hundreds of them. Maine is makers that can handcraft a high-quality piece of wood furniture where the joinery fits like a glove. Sew a skirt made with plant-based fabric with a New England-made machine that was invented in 1881. Make a mean mustard through a coal grind process made in the same mill since 1900, and much more. Join me for a journey through the lives of makers from across Maine to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Christian Bermulon, and this is Makers of Maine. I didn't really know much about the brewing process until my husband got into it over the pandemic. He bought his spike home brewing set and our basement turned into a science lab. Pieces of equipment laid out everywhere. <laughs> and when I see at first glance as I get to take the last step leading into the basement, I think to myself, there is no way I can get into brewing because it's just too much math and science. I just for me, I, I mean I would love to do it, but I think I would much rather go and market it and promote it. One of my goals for the podcast was to interview a brewery here in Maine, as the brewery industry has seen significant growth over the years. According to Craft Brewing Business, over the last decade, on average, 11 breweries open each year. That's a lot. (laughs) The brew business is booming, and I wanted to interview a brewery that has grown at a fast pace has played around with innovative practices when it comes to its brewing, and really just thinks way outside the box. John and Tom of Lone Pine Brewing started their business in 2016 in Portland and has quickly expanded to their location in Gorham and broadened its product line to include hard seltzer. The business idea stemmed from a conversation both longtime friends and former bandmates had and with help from the local community between financial institutions, other breweries, and much more, their growth continues to skyrocket and expand throughout the nation my husband and I ventured out to Lone Pine Brewery's uh, Gorham location. And thanks to Berlin City Auto, we took one of their uh, Lexus cars. And what I loved about it, it was like a kind of a piney green uh, color tone, uh, which totally matched Lone Pine Brewery's branding. So on point Berlin, on point. Uh, So thank you again, Berlin City Auto Group. If you did not know this, they actually have a rental car program. Um, So if you have no luck right now in terms of renting a vehicle, Berlin City does have that option. So I wanted to uh, softly throw that out there. I know it's something they aren't really uh, big in throwing out there, but it is an option. So I wanted just to share that with you all. And then also, um, while we were uh, venturing out there, we met up with uh, my lovely friend Natal, who helped capture uh, some of the video footage that you guys um, probably had seen uh, through the promo video I did for these guys. Um, So, Natal, thank you. I just think it was such a great adventure um, going out to Lone Pine and seeing the craft for ourselves and meeting uh, John and Tom. John, Tom, and I talk about the process behind brewing, some of the fun, unique practices they take on to give their product line a little twist, including the inclusion of Holy Donut Donuts into a couple of their beers and the challenges and successes they've had when it comes to their growth, and how Maine has been a big part of it. Now, let's talk craft with John Paul and Thomas Maiden with Lone Pine Brewing. All right, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Makers and Maine podcast. We have uh, John and Tom from Lone Pine Brewery. Thank you guys so much for being on the episode today. It's lovely to have you. Just to learn about your craft and what you're doing here in Gorham, and I know you have a tasting room in Portland.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. So the first question I usually start off with is, uh, "What is your craft, and what inspired you to start it?"
1: So we are Lone Pine Brewing Company. We make craft beer and what inspired us to start it was i mean um a lot of things i think um beer is amazing in that it's very much a craft and, and an art it's an art form mm-hmm. um you know in in itself it's a blend of you know science and improvis- improvisation um as well as you know when you kind of get into the the space where you're you're I guess, building out a recipe and, you know, you have in your mind's eye sort of an idea of, you know, what the final product will be. You know, there's a, a lot of factors that play into m- making that beer exactly how you envision it. Um, right. And that sort of, that big combination of, you know, math and science and hard work and s- sanitization. And, you know, there's a lot of facets that go into this one little thing and it keeps, you know, every day different and every day is very interesting. And that's sure. why we keep coming back and doing it every day.
0: That's great. <laughs> and... So tell me, uh, John, what was sort of the inspiration on how you got into this business?
2: So I lived vicariously through Tom on basically how to brew beer. I've only brewed one batch of beer ever. Oh, wow. Um, I got a bottle of Glenlivet from Tom's store, which is Madame Beverage, which he would probably dive into, yeah. um, a homebrew kit from Tom, and I forgot about it in my mother's basement, and found it about a year and a half later, and then I don't even remember what style it was. It was a... Well, it's not really a style.
1: <laughs> we left it in the basement. We for left a reason, it in the basement, right? yeah.
2: <laughs> so for me, um, you know, T- Tom owned a or his dad owned a craft beer store in Saco. and nice. um I mean you can go into the store of, you know, kind of that in general, but for me I, you know, really fell in love with craft beer and learned about craft beer mostly through Tom just being friends with him over nice. the years.
0: And how'd you guys meet?
1: We met in high school. Nice. Um, we went to Thornton Academy together here in cool. Southern Maine. Um, we were in a rock band together.
0: Oh, hence the, you know, mm-hmm. how to handle the mic stand. Bit. That's right. Okay, I didn't know you both were in a rock band. That's great. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was sort of our first entrepreneurial <laughs> endeavor. I mean, we you got to sell CDs out of a backpack, right? So yeah. that was kind of our first go at this kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, we put our training wheels on there, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it was, a uh, that was how we, we met. We've known each other since, um, you know, there's a lot of trust involved in a, you know, business partnership like this. So right. to have that kind of history is really important, you know, I'm sure. um, as you, you know, scale and grow and have more and more people that you're in charge of, yeah. you know, it can get really, uh, it can get really in- intimidating and, you know, it's a lot of hard work and to have somebody to rely on who you've, you know, got that kind of history with, uh, is super important. I think. Right.
0: Yeah. Now, Tom, did you go to school like to learn how to craft beer, or was this just a hobby I, that kind of grew?
1: Like many, you know, breweries and brewers out there, you know, I learned on my porch in my basement, like just brewing at home. You know, yeah. over the course of probably I think six or eight years before we went professional, um, I had the good fortune of you know shadow, shadowing on professional equipment, and I mean, I. You know, studied everything you could before sort of taking the leap right. um, because obviously you jump into something like this and there's a lot of high quality brewers here in Maine I mean we've right. got you know award winners and national recognition all all around us so mm-hmm. uh, but they say quality breeds quality so you come into a place where you know we kind of walked into the lion's den you know opening up in East Bayside of Portland you know there's a lot of great beer coming out already and you know the bar was really high yeah. so um, <laughs> we did all the prep you know prior um, I was um, a big book nerd still kind of am in terms of like you know diving into the technical data of uh there's more information out there now about brewing and the science behind it than there really ever has been and it's widely available if you know where to look um right I mean I was (laughs) early in the early days I was going on sort of the you know there's the fermentation studies um courses and you know some of these west coast schools and I was you know pulling uh, you know, details off of their syllabuses and things yeah. like that. I mean, I wasn't enrolled, but I was sort of still getting the same information um, right. and sort of digesting it in a different way. Um, but as John mentioned, my sort of history comes more from the retail side. I, um, I grew up in Southern Maine, went to school for business, mm-hmm. um, came back after the financial collapse. I mean, we yeah. were both, I was working in finance at the time, um, well. came home, lived in mom and dad's basement for a little while, uh, and they owned a beer and wine store uh, in Southern Maine um, that at the time wasn't really, you know, wasn't really huge into the craft beer segment. Uh, but I had just come out of college and was like, this is the next big thing. We've got to right. we've got to focus on, you know, on this. This is a wave that's kind of on the way. It's, you know, it was, it's something that I appreciated. Yeah. Um, so I kind of went in um, and it helped them sort of learn, you know, the ins and outs of sort of the evolving craft beer world. And, you know, we had 16 cooler doors of beer and, you know, it went from, I think, nine or 10 of the Bud Miller core's portfolio and wow. then just turned that on its head into, you know, 14 cooler doors of craft beer. And Jeez. that's really where I started to learn the ins and outs of the industry um, was from that perspective. Um, you know, meeting the distributors, meeting the brewers here locally who are coming in trying to sell their product and being able right. to pick their brain was always a benefit. Yeah. Um, and then. Yeah, and then over time, you know, I was homebrewing at the same time, was sampling people, you know, sampling customers under the table and, <laughs> and all this stuff, and sort of getting real feedback in real time, which was, you know, which was a really good learning experience. Um, and then, you know, the the dream was always there. Uh, retail is it's a bear. I mean, yeah. if anybody who's worked retail knows it's you know it's a lot of a lot of work for a low low margin, mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to scale, uh, especially with beer. You can't still can't sell beer online you know from a retail level or anything along those lines so we couldn't capture that market There was really no way to scale outside of our small community yeah um so essentially the decision was made to you know i had had to either open another store or you know go my own path and um that was that was kind of where we decided to you know john had just moved home from la and i mean i kind of had him in the back of my mind as sort of the person who could do this i had no interest in sales john john you know he could sell you know Snow to an Eskimo. Um, and don't And I'll pay him <laughs> later. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and honestly, I, I mean, I didn't want to, I just wanted to make it. I had no interest in, you know, going out and doing the, um, you know, all the sales side. So right. um, John moved home. The p- timing was kind of perfect. Um, and I told my dad, I was like, this is something I'm doing. And he didn't, didn't blink. He was like, great, off Good. we go. And, you know, he, a couple of years, not even a couple of years, bef- around the time we opened, um he told me he's like i don't want to do retail alone anymore he sold the store and he's worked for us ever since actually mm-hmm. he's still no yeah, way yeah, yeah he's on our payroll and has, has been wow. ever since. So, still still a family business from start to finish i guess um that's awesome so yeah that's kind of the origin story I yeah guess, um of how we kind of got here yeah. wow
0: and uh john so tell me a little bit about your background you were in la what were you doing out there
2: i was in um the entertainment industry at first um wow. so I started working at Sony when I was 18 and then went to um, LA to work at William Morris and then worked at a TV studio um, for about four more years um, and then moved back to Maine. And I was going to take the GMAT the week before Tom and I got a beer at Portland Pie in Biddeford. (laughs) (laughs) He approached me about this. And I remember just getting to my car and I had the GMAT book. In my seat, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm just throwing this away right when I get home and doing this wow. instead." <laughs> that's crazy. So, um, it was great. Yeah, I mean, it was perfect timing. Yeah, um, I was definitely at a, a crossroads of, you know, probably going back to school, and that was really my my goal. So this was a, a great move, obviously, for for me.
0: Right. <laughs> and how long did it take you guys to get it off the ground?
2: Almost a year.
3: Yep. Exactly. A year.
1: Really? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh
0: my gosh, that's not that long. Like. It felt wow. like an eternity.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure when yeah. you're in the
0: midst of it, because there's probably so much you have to do like to really get it up off the ground like what did you what were the first initial steps like and kind of the first starting thing, the business
1: financing was really the first yeah. first yeah, goal yeah yep. and finding a location because everything sort of hinges on obviously money right <laughs> first of all right i mean i you know like i said financial collapse living in mom's basement i wasn't exactly right. flush with capital to get this right. thing going i'm sure w- early days we called it duct tape in a dream i mean <laughs> we just we you know we sort of sort of forced it forward um, but yeah, it was uh, everything sort of hinges on the location. Once you're trying to get licensing uh, together, so it was really, um, you know, we found a bank that believed in the the idea. We put together a really good plan. I mean, we both went to business school, so we had a, a really tight plan that um, we presented to a couple banks, and one signed on. So there we go. That's check awesome. That yep, yep. check the, that box. And yeah. Then um, and you know, we weren't asking for a lot and we had a, you know, a really good plan together. So, um, thankfully somebody signed on and then it was finding location and we shopped a lot of places and found a, a really quirky and, you know, beat up dirty old place in East Bayside, <laughs> which at the time, you know, and still kind of is, you know, a, you know, sort of dark corner of, of Portland, um, sort of know mostly untraveled and and at the time was pretty forgotten about and right. we got a, we got a great rent rate and mm-hmm. you know had to roll up the sleeves and put in some sweat equity to get the place ready right. um you know we still have that space over in portland that's the still right. the tasting room it's our original place i mean i cut the floor drains myself i mean everything mm-hmm. was you know wow. I, we gutted it to nothing and then built it up from trips to home depot and, right. and i mean just whatever we could you know do on the weekends
0: mm-hmm. yeah um
2: Yeah, that the street was um, it wasn't even paved back then, too. So the first the first summer that we were open, um, anytime anyone drove by, we had to make sure all the doors were closed because it just became a dust bowl. Oh, I'm sure Um, it was like the Wild West of of Portland for a minute. But um, but, you know, luckily, tons of businesses followed suit and now it's It's a great community. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. growing like
0: crazy down there. And there's more breweries, you know, down there as well as other just shops. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the next, like, five years as that continues to grow. What a great spot. Like, it's good that you guys Mm -hmm. have stayed there because I've been seeing there's a lot of, like, renowned businesses here that are, like, going to other spaces Mm because of the pandemic and expanding and all that. So it's good you're sticking to your roots. and in there, right? I don't know yeah. if we could let it go. It's you know, know, it's such a
1: cool, quirky place. I mean, it's a it's a pink building, stucco pink right. and, and teal. And I mean, I used to call it the pinkest brewery in Portland just because it was a fun tagline. <laughs> I um, love but, it. Yeah. And you know, it stuck with people. You know, early yeah. on. But yeah, I, like you mentioned, there's a lot of. I mean, there's a ton of breweries in that area anyway, so it's well trafficked by people who are looking to do sort of these brewery right. experiences. Um, so we get a lot of uh, people who are hopping around to a couple different places to mm-hmm. breweries on the weekends. I mean, we know that there's. I mean, since we've opened, a brewery has opened in our building. Two mm-hmm. wineries opened in the same building. No way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then across the street, we have, I mean, Urban Farm Fermentary has been there forever. There's two more breweries opening up right on Anderson Street. Really? I think this year. Wow. And they're at least in planning right now. So it's... If it wasn't a hub before, it's going to continue to be, you know, a yeah. cluster of this type of business that's really going to hopefully keep attracting people from, you know, all over the region. You right, know, to keep coming and, um, you know, sampling the wares of Southern Maine.
0: Yeah, that's the- exciting. Now, when you pick a spot um, for a brewery, like, what are the factors you have to consider? I know my husband and I have you know, kind of tapped into this whole, like, brewery industry because we're thinking about opening one in the Cumberland area. Oh, cool. Very cool. But, um, (laughs) you know, my husband isn't a part of this interview process, so I may be totally (laughs) not saying the right stuff, babe. But, um, by the way, he's here with us. (laughs) He's, like, kind of the bad guy. But anyways, so um, when you're looking at a location – do you have to consider sort of like where the water's coming from, like the sewer, like, you know, all of that? And like, what other things do you have to think of when it comes to a location? Because that is definitely something like that hits us personally, but I'm sure others would want to learn, too.
1: Sure. I mean, it's a fact. It's many factors kind of all combined. And, you know, you kind of have to weigh weigh them against each other. Um, yeah. So water, sewer, three phase power are very nice yeah. <laughs> i would highly <laughs> recommend having you know public water and sewer you can definitely do it on a well and on and on septic but there are other challenges um I'm sure. the barriers are lower especially if you're in a place like portland or on the portland water table where the the water here is just phenomenal right. for brewing um so you kind of want to be on that public water yeah um because it's it's super soft it's super easy to brew with um it's clean it tastes great you're you, that's why a lot of these breweries have a leg up um, for us a big factor was zoning I mean mm-hmm. we were again going back to the low budget right. um, Portland is one of the few um, municipalities that defines breweries as a use within certain zones yeah um, so you don't have to go in front of the planning board um, you just need a um, obviously you know there's every plan is different um, but for us it was a pretty pretty easy entry point because breweries were an approved use so mm-hmm. we just needed a certificate of occupancy um, under that use um, which allowed us to not have to spend a ton of money on architecture and right. those sorts of things. Um, and then add to that timeline, you know, yeah. you have sort of a burn rate on your your budget to get mm-hmm. to the opening date. Um, and our burn rate was going pretty quickly in the wow. early days. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, we started with, with now. We got, we got there. We got to open. But, you know, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't have much else, you know, in terms of, you know, money to splurge with. And the timing was... Um, you know, it was important to start making some money at some point. Oh, yeah, I'm um, sure. So, that, that all sort of factored into the location, but I mean, also, it's got to be kind of a place that speaks to you. I mean, you we we looked at a lot of places, um, we looked at some places where you couldn't even get equipment in, and it's just right. like, okay, well, this wow. is we'd have to remove a wall to get equipment in, like that's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, So, we you know, we sniffed around for a while. Um, we looked at we did look at an industrial way where there was already a cluster of breweries. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at some industrial spaces, you know, nearby. Um, and we didn't, we didn't want to be like right on top of anybody else. Yeah. Um, but we also kind of wanted to be a little bit where the action is. Um, right. so Portland, I mean, John and I are from Saco. I've, you know, lived in Portland. Um, we both, I think lived in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of, you know, this is, this is home. So, yeah. I mean, we would we wanted to be in Portland. I don't think we, we maybe looked at one of the place, you know, outside of Portland,
2: but yeah, we checked out a, a little bit of Saco Biddeford just cause we're right. not yeah. really from that area. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: But, I mean, really, this is, I mean, when you think of brewing in, in Maine, this is the spot. And, I mean, you know, having respect for who's done it here before, we definitely wanted to be a part of that. Right. Um, so, Portland was a no-brainer for mm-hmm. um, for the search. And then, obviously, budget. You know, we had to <laughs> factor budget in. Um, and, you know, our place was, you know, fairly low rent. You know, tons of character. Um, we were kind of in the mix, but out on our own a little bit. Right. Water, sewer, three-phase power. Um, yeah. Rock and roll. That nice. was kind of how that decision went, yeah.
0: And... How many beers did you have at the time when you first opened? <laughs> That's a fun story. So,
1: um, so I had grand plans. I mean, I had brewed so many things on a homebrew level that I wanted to, you know, bring to the world and have this huge, expansive tap list, you know, when we opened. But I'm sorry. The reality was, is you know, when you give John a, a year to wander around town and um you know get people ready for you know the first beer to hit the market um we (laughs) i i made a half batch the first time i was like "Eh, i don't know this seems like a ton of liquid like and we're brand new like who knows so brewed a brewed a half batch got it all the way to the completion which you know took about two weeks still a little over two weeks um to complete you know the full cycle of making the beer and um and john had it all pre-sold so it was out the door and i'm Immediately, John's like, well, when can we have more? And I hadn't even brewed the next oh batch. And I was gosh. just like, oh, my God, all right. So that was, Port- that was <laughs> Portland Pale Ale. Um, wow. Yeah. And the fun story there, I mean, um, the, the moniker Portland, you know, for a beer hadn't been, you know, had been used by Bull Jagger uh, for a while and was kind of, um, they had Portland Lager um for a bit and our landlord at our location Mm -hmm. is uh is alan jagger uh from Bull jagger so yeah so it's a it was a cool little sort of uh, kind of passing of the torch a little bit yeah um so that that name was kind of revered by a lot of people and we just asked alan like would you have any you know worries with yeah with us you know using this name and he was fired up to sort of see it back in circulation so um so yeah so portland pale ale was the first beer to come out and it was the only thing I brewed for four to five months, probably. I just made one beer. Wow! And we opened a tasting room with one option. Hey, yeah. that's yeah. great. The, the one tap, come in and have the one beer, which was, <laughs> which was, <laughs> you know, very sort of contrast to what a lot of other people were were doing. We wanted to sort of have a footprint in the city, and you know, right. I mean, all these relationships that John was building or had already built through his prior business or prior work. Um, You know, we we wanted to sort of serve the people who serve the community as well, not just, you know, um, and, you know, obviously you want multiple options on draft when you open, but it just wasn't in the cards for us. (laughs) Um, So I made one beer for about, I think, yeah, probably four or five months. And then eventually I was just like, John, I got to do something else. I'm going going crazy (laughs) here. Um, So I snuck in one batch of it was an IPA. Yep. Yep. And at first, I was like, I don't want to jump into that game. Everybody's just like super rabid for IPAs right now, right. and the and the quality is super high. And I was intimidated by it, but we did I'm it, sure. and it was it was outselling pale, you know, five to one. And it was just like, mm-hmm. all right, we're making IPAs now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. good, yeah. No,
0: that's great. And then, so when you first started this, were you sort of um, more of driven in the fact of bringing community together and kind of offering that tasting room bit and offering your beer through drafts. And then like, how did you start thinking about, okay, maybe we should offer this out like in cans?
2: So we opened a little backwards from most breweries. We actually um, didn't open the tasting room first. So we had about two months oh. or a month and a half um, where we sold to the market before oh, our tasting wow. room opened. Yeah. yeah. Um, so by the time we opened the tasting room, we probably had about 50 to 60 accounts um, oh, wow. with Portland Pale on draft. Um. So yeah, it was, it was very different. Most people are, yeah. you know, going straight for because I assumed brands. Yeah, yeah, I just
0: assumed that's amazing that you guys started that way, and it probably helped you financially. Maybe.
2: Um, it set a, a foundation. I think it was probably the harder way to go, honestly. <laughs> really? <laughs> right. Yeah, oh, because we weren't making higher margin in house. But um, to speak, you know, to Tom's background, he came from retail, and we right. wanted to kind of make a point to be retail first. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of we saw a lot of breweries who you know weren't serving retail who are just serving out of the tasting room. And, thing. and that was, you know, it was kind of frustrating from my perspective yeah. to have all these customers come in and say, hey, do you have this, you have this, you have this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, you got to go there. You got to go there. And, you know, you're seeing all this, you know, all these people who are hungry for, you know, entertaining and engaging
0: right. products,
1: you know, and having to sort of, you know, conclude your conversation to send them somewhere else. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a bummer. Um, so to have gone through that enough. I was just kind of like, well, let's, you know, let's serve retail. Let's, yeah. you know, let's look at it from a business to business perspective. Um, and you know, really running a tasting room and a brewery, there's only two of us. I mean, it's two businesses. When we when our tasting room was open at, in the early days, it was me while I was brewing. Was selling we're selling the beer. Wow. It was just like it was it was a little too much. And, you know, the focus at the beginning was, you know, making the beer, you know, making it the best that I could right. and, you know, really just focusing on that aspect of um of the business and to do that and tours and tastings and all that was just was just too much and we weren't really ready to yeah. to hire yet i mean it was right i was still sort of a you know wasn't quite out of the uh the retail world quite yet right i think i cut it off like just before we opened um so it was a, it was a whirlwind back then but yeah the you know we started we had yeah like 40 or 50 accounts and what What happens when you put a beer on draft, when you sort of, it's kind of an unwritten contract with some of these people who put you on draft, Um, you know, a bar puts you on and they expect to be able to reorder that product when you sell out. So there's a little bit of pressure on, you know, my end to make sure that I'm, Offering a steady supply right. mm-hmm. to the market; otherwise, that beer comes off, and someone else goes on, and we're never coming back. Yeah. And so you've got to really, you know, really keep up with what the market's demanding mm-hmm. from that perspective. And again, we wanted to serve business to business um, to really, you know, nurture these relationships, um, you know, between us and the other businesses who are serving the customers here in Portland. Right. And really, the only way to do that was to just keep making pale and make sure that they can keep it on draft. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. So it and it, it has kind of stayed that way. You know, those contracts yeah. are still sort of still written in that way
2: yeah we were we really targeted um accounts that aren't really in the rotation Mm
3: -hmm. game
2: if you will um so a lot of you know four or eight tap handles um accounts you wouldn't necessarily think craft beer might live in Mm -hmm. we really wanted portland pale to be essentially a gateway beer um much like madam beverage and when tom Mm -hmm. um flipped those 16 cooler doors into craft we really wanted Mm -hmm. to have um an intro to craft with portland pale on draft so yeah um we were in, you know, Scarborough Downs, like places you, <laughs> right. that were just, wow. you know, strictly, you know, kind of your bud crowd. Um, yeah. And we were, you know, the gateway kind of beer for, for that yeah. demographic, which is fantastic. Um, and, yeah, so targeting that, I think, was a big part of our success, too, in terms of um, no one was really looking, you know, over right. at those accounts specifically. Yeah, a
1: lot of the conversations I had at the store when I was working retail were people would come in and, you know, you'd walk, watch people walk by. Fourteen cooler doors of craft beer and grab natural light and you're just like oh man makes my soul hurt a little <laughs> oh, bit you know I, what know. I mean? and I know. and to see it happen every day but over time you wear people down a little bit you know you know we don't we didn't I never imposed myself right. I never said hey this beer is better like you gotta you know but over time people start to get curious you know they mm-hmm. see some stuff oh, yeah. something that maybe resonates with them a little bit and then right. they're like hey what's this all about and then suddenly. You know your hooks are in her a, l- a right. little bit and you can start a conversation about hey here's what craft beer is here's here are the benefits you know it serves local um you know local people are employed to make this beer um, yeah. uses better ingredients probably less additives um here's sort of the laundry list of reasons why you maybe should try this and then you know really you know i'll, I'll credit baxter who right around the time when you know i made the a lot of the transition that Madden's um, into craft, they were the first ones really to come out as a true local craft in cans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really started getting all those people who were, you know, drinking all these beers. And now it's a familiar packaging type. Right. You know, the price point's pretty good. You, just, you know, you're still paying a little more, but, you know, here yeah. are all the benefits. And then suddenly... Right you know, we called those the gateway beers. And then suddenly you have a person who's making that transition into the craft beer world. And, you know, me, the guy at the register, <laughs> I'm the guy curating that experience for them. Yeah. So, so for me, that was very important to translate into the brewery. Mm-hmm. So we designed Portland Pale to kind of mimic that process of, okay, if I'm a person who's never had craft beer before and I'm walking by 14 cooler doors, yeah, and suddenly there's something that maybe piques my interest, like how does that become Portland Pale Ale? Right. You know? so we, we designed that beer to be, you know, kind of not a lot to think about. You know, it's it's an easy drinker, but it still has, you know, boutique hops in it. So yeah. it, it can kind of have a foot in both worlds where it, um, you know, it appeals to the, you know, the craft beer connoisseur yeah. because we're using sort of, you know, higher end ingredients. Um, we're still kind of catering to, um you know people who are paying attention in that way Mm -hmm. but if you have it you would you know as your first introduction to craft beer we just really wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to turn people off right because then once you've had that first conversation now all of a sudden we as a business and not me as the retailer we as a business are the curator for their first experience into craft beer um so that was sort of our first angle as we entered the market was this was something that's a you know, it's a nice, easy step in. It's not a sledgehammer. You're not going to come in with an 8%, like mm. over the top. Right. You know, stuff that's just going to be so far away from what people are used to. Yeah. We wanted that first beer to really be an easy transition beer. into Because now once they're in the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, hey, we have this, the rest of this portfolio. Right. You know, what what do you want to try next? Maybe that wasn't exactly. quite for you. You know, you're, but we're close. Like, right. hey, try a wheat beer. Try, you know, all of a sudden you can start curating that experience. Yeah. You. So that was really the first goal.
0: Nice. Here. So, so... How did you feel as you continue to expand your really portfolio of beers like especially with those that weren't really um, into the craft beer scene. Like, let's say, like, I'm very elementary into the craft beer scene. Like, I just started getting into IPAs. My palate has grown tremendously with living here in Maine. I've only been here for three years. So let's say, like, somebody who comes in, it's like, I'm not really big into beer. Like, I'm a Natty Light girl, whatever. How would you go about those initial steps, the introductory steps of being like, okay, this is what you need to try, and this is how we can kind of increase your palate as you continue to, like, get to know the craft beer scene and liking it?
1: Sure. So I, I always break it down in terms of like the individual flavor descriptors that can come in with the beer. Uh, yeah. Portland Pale, I get a little bit of like lemongrass. Um, you kind of break it down in that way. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, a little lemongrass, a little citrus rind. Um, be like, oh, do you like, you know, do you like lemonade? Do you like something right. that's a little beer adjacent? Yeah. Based on the flavor and then kind of work on how to transition them into a beer that sort of presents itself similarly. Right. Um, so that's usually how I sort of, uh, when someone would ask me, hey, I like this I like this. That's not beer. Yeah. What should I drink? Then, you know, having some experience, um, I've early on in the process, I, uh, went through the Cicerone program. I was a certified Cicerone like four or five years ago. I must've been more wow. than six years ago. Yeah. I to say, yeah, which is kind of like the sommelier for, uh, the sommelier program for wine is, is mm-hmm. the Cicerone program is for beer. Yeah. Um, and it's evolved, you know, massively since, I'm but sure. a lot of that is like really sort of understanding the presentation of beer and beer mm-hmm. and food integration. Right. Um, and a lot of, a lot of thinking for beer service um mm-hmm. and these conversations you know kind of precisely so um right. if someone's like you know i like you know i want something light and easy and something that's not going to be too you know filling is always a fun word that right. people use but um you know so I, I would say okay are you having it with seafood let's look at let's look at wheat beers you know something that maybe has a lemon garnish because that's you know we call those training wheels you know that'll right. kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'll kind of work you in um so uh, th- those conversations, you know, are always fun because people who are genuinely interested yeah. um, are always, you know, great to talk to because I think, you know, that if I don't have to sort of inspire you, right. you know, you're already inspired. Now let's just find, let's just put you on the right tracks. Yeah. Um, no, that's really interesting
0: because yeah. I've, I've always, I've been to like Napa Valley. I've been and tried different wines and I know it's like, oh, try it with these foods and that foods, but I never thought of it with beer. Oh. So this is like really interesting because I, I mean, you know, I, I, I've walked into a lot of breweries, and to have somebody passionate to where it can connect like, you with your lifestyle and what you enjoy and your palate, like, it's really cool that you have that background. I didn't even know there was courses on it, so that's really awesome. <laughs>
1: One of my soapboxes, and I actually, I work with Stonewall Kitchen down in, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do uh, cooking classes with them. No way. Yeah, um, I'm technically, I think, on their, you know, I'm billed as a chef, but I'm not a chef. Um, <laughs> but essentially, I, I help the chef. I bring beers, and I do this probably every six, six or eight weeks. Um, no. Yeah, I'm booked out, I think, through uh, the end of next year, Um, or sorry, the end of this year, yeah, the the fall through the winter of this year. Yeah, Um, And really what it is, is, you know, I bring beers, they make food, I bring beer that pairs well with, it's Lone Pine beer, and there's, you know, shameless Um, (laughs) self-interest. But I bring these, I bring these beers down, and basically, part of that pitch is, next time you're sitting at a dinner table, like, don't drink wine. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. try beer, because beer, beer does have a lot of benefits that wine, you know, can't, Offer. Um, right. I mean, beer and cheese compared to beer and wine is. I mean, you know, beer and uh, cheese and wine pairings. Everybody's like right. rabid for those. But for me, it's just like you know, beer has you know, it has carbonation. It has the mechanical action to scrub your palate. So right. you have you have one cheese and you have wine, and yeah, there's some acidity that can help sort of strip that away. But you got to have multiple sips to really get the wine out of your mouth before right. you get into the next cheese. And you know, beer. It's got. You I mean the structure of the grain um yeah in combination with the carbonation, like scrubs your palate so much faster. And then you right. can just go you can go cheese, sip, cheese, sip and just like the yeah. experience is so, awesome. in my opinion, so much better. So yeah. part of that whole presentation is like the next time you're sitting at a table, like here are all the tools you need. Right. Um here's all the information you need to pair your your meal that you want yeah. with a beer. Right. Um and here's why you should do that instead of Trying yeah. To so it's part of that part of that pitch. Um, huh. but yeah, I, you know, there's a whole um, sort of rap sheet that I go through down there to right. um, you know sort of inform people on here are the cure are the quick quick and easy rules for right. um, beer and food pairings and things along those lines and you know that experience certainly helps you know I like connecting with customers one-on-one yeah. or potential customers I mean every every class I open it with who's heard of Lone Pine Brewing coming before <laughs> and when I started we only had we weren't even in Gorham yet I think more people
2: knew what Portland Pale ale was but didn't yeah. know what Lone pine was Wow. Yep. Yeah. Um,
1: and at the time I think we only had four beers when I started with Stonewall So it's a four four course dinner so whatever we were <laughs> making was right. what I was, was what I was pairing Um, but that's since evolved and it's, you know, it's nice now to say, you know, who's sort of Lone Pine and, you know, 70% of hand goes, hands go up instead of two hands. Like, you know, so it's, and one of them's your mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a a true story.
0: (laughs) So how many beers, um, have you guys made?
1: I think we made, we made 48 brands last year, calendar year. Mm Wow. Wow. And how many
0: new brands do you typically come out with every year?
1: It depends. Um, there's there so a lot of it is determined by the market and mm-hmm. um like i mentioned we sort of have this unwritten contract with our retailers that if we're putting a beer on draft we're going to keep supplying it so when the summer hits, we sort of collapse into our core brands, Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that we're not, you know, if, um, you know, one of the places down on, you know, the waterfront in Portland is putting us on their summer menu and it's printed on that menu. Like we better make sure that they're not running out of product. So, Mm -hmm. um, so we can't be as creative in the summer just because we only have so much brewing space. I'm Um, and we're still sort of, we're still pushing the limit in here. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, we, we um, you know, kind of fall back into the core brands to make sure that everybody who's getting beer is going to get it consistently. Mm-hmm. And then I find ways to sort of sneak in some batches here and there yeah. throughout the summer. But, um, you know, the winter months, that sort of slows down a little bit and we mm-hmm. can get a little bit more creative. That's mm-hmm. fun. Um, and that's, you know, we have all these fun plans and all these, you know, grand ideas that come out in the summer right. when everybody's feeling good. And, you know, um, there's a lot more, you know time to be sort of drinking outside and you know right. our time with our staff and uh things along those lines so I, a lot of uh, more ideas float around in the summer and then we can kind of execute them all fall through winter yeah kind of Yep.
0: so when did you guys move to gorham um was it at a time where you guys were just expanding or like okay we well now we need more room
2: <laughs> it all yeah so we we moved in in march of 2018 yes. um sabigo moved uh, basically to their new facility and um it was just a huge inflection point for us. So we did about 1,600 barrels in, um, 2017. And then Mm -hmm. in 2018, um, we jumped up to about 63 to 6,500 around there. Um, so it was pretty overnight growth in terms of, um, just how we, how we had to execute it. And we kind of had a, we, we signed wholesaler contracts and we, um, you know, full transparency Mm kind of had a no man's land of, okay, a distributor is taking margin now. Mm -hmm. We really need to sell a certain, um, amount of sales to basically break even to where we were before as a self-distributed
1: brand. Um, It's a big jump for for breweries of that size um, to come into a facility like this. Just for the background, um, Tobago Brewing Company was in this facility before we moved in. Oh, really? Yeah. So they... We found out about a we were about a year old it, it, yeah, as a brewery, exactly. and yep. and it's we like found out yeah through the grapevine that they were interested in selling this facility in place because they were building a brand new one up the street about oh, a, wow. they're about a mile up the road now um, oh wow yep. I didn't know that so they yeah so kind of like a hermit crab yeah you know they moved out into a bigger place and um, we it took us about a year to finalize mm-hmm. uh, you know all the the n- little details, but um, we basically moved in in March. I think April 1, we assumed the lease.
2: Yeah, I mean, we just yep. flipped all licenses over, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Tom had hundreds and hundreds of um, data sheets for brewing where yep. he, he really had a grasp on how to, you know, create Lone Pine beer on the system from day one, which mm-hmm. was, I think, a huge advantage for us. Um, yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, when you build a brand new system from the bottom up that's never been used before, and there's a lot of sort of small, um, you know, things about that system that you know can change your beer if you're not familiar with how that system you know the rates at which it boils off liquid um the isomerization rates of the kettle um there's you know the extract potential in your mash done there's all these things that um if you don't have any data you just gotta all you can do is just brew on it and and get that information and then adapt um whereas this you know sebago was you know god bless them was um <laughs> was willing to open up their, you know, their brew sheets and, you know, let me look at all that information. I was able to apply oh that gosh. to our, yeah, to all of our recipes. And we came in day one and we sampled. I remember our first time that pail came off mm-hmm. the line here, it was also being packaged in Portland and we tried them side by side. They were indistinguishable. And it was yep. just like, really? To have that was you know such there's just no teething period for this we just hit the ground running minute one when we wow. got here which was
2: awesome it's on the same water table there was nothing that we needed to change wow, from that's that perspective great. it was a nerve-wracking moment because at the same time that beer was the first product we were sending to wholesalers right. so it was just all at once we were we were right. making these huge moves yep. um, we had wow. just we
1: hired like nine or ten people i want to say on production we we tripled our staff overnight yeah we, oh my yeah gosh. yeah
2: about 13 yeah, yeah i mean really with, it w- yeah
1: it was a huge catalyst for the trajectory of our growth was moving into this space i mean wow. that year we were we were announced as the
2: f- fourth fastest fourth, growing yeah fourth yep, fastest brewing brewery in america oh that year.
1: um i mean we almost quadrupled our output yep. overnight um So it was, yeah, that was a huge leap and a a big catalyst for, you know, the trajectory that we've been on was just moving into this facility. All of a sudden, you know, the walls were closing in on us in Portland. We were putting out, what was it? Would you say fourteen or 1,600? uh, Yeah, I think it was
2: about 1,600 barrels annually. And I mean, think of basically 700 square foot. It was like (laughs) 760 (laughs) square feet. Yeah, yeah,
1: in a basement. And we were putting out, I, I mean... I I don't want to go on record saying it, but I I got a hunch we were putting up more beer per square foot than anywhere in the Northeast. It was just, I mean, it was a lot of product. We had high ceilings thankfully. So we had had really tall tanks, Um, (laughs) but we were moving a lot of product out of that place. And, and we, you know, to be a year old and to be looking at a facility like this for us seemed like this is nonsense. What are we even doing? But then right. as the conversation continued on and the walls continued closing in over right. in, in Portland, we were just like, we kind of have to do this. We're yeah. we're going to be shopping for a place anyway. So this this is a big right. leap, but let's kind of go for it. And, you know, it it was very calculated, but it, it worked out and we're, you know, still here now. I mean, we're kind of stretching the walls in this place, <laughs> you know, again, but... Um, you know, but in a, obviously in a good way, and we've right. been been here for three years now, and it's been a, a crazy, um, a crazy time of sort of, you know, the building's a little old. It's a big it was here for a while. So, you know, just redoing infrastructure and yeah, um, sure. sort of adapting everything, adding our own equipment. Um, and then suddenly, yeah, I don't know if they've p- produced numbers, but, you know, top, uh, definitely top 10 producer in, in mm-hmm. Maine now all of a sudden. And it's just like, wow. you know, where's the time gone? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. So walk me through that feeling. Like what's that one word you could describe when like you're in the midst of that growth process? Like you come on in here and you're like, okay, like we're expanding. We just hired on like 10 new employees. Like tell me from each of you, like what's the one word to describe it? What was going through your head? If I could do
2: two words, Go org- for it. organize chaos.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we always use the phrase running with our hair on fire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely, you know... there was just at the time though there was just too much to do to be nervous or scared there's Mm -hmm. just like there's just so much on your plate that you just can't think about it the decisions have to happen in microseconds um so i I, the another analogy i use is you know we're running a marathon looking at our feet like we just haven't had even from even now i mean maybe a little bit lately the pandemic kind of made us all kind of stop and pick our head up obviously but um you know we have been just you know Looking at the pavement, running as fast as we can for five yeah. years without looking up and looking around yet. um right. So it's it's been a uh, you know it's been an interesting But yeah, now definitely you know taking that step back, looking around, be like wow, this is a it's kind of cool. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like sometimes you have to, right. you do
0: that, and some well, most of the time you're probably just hitting the ground. Like you said, yeah. like you're just running around like crazy. And so tell me that we're kind of pivoting the conversation here a little bit, but. Tell me the most unique or really special beer that you've crafted that it like hits home to you. I'm sure it's all your beers, what? but is there one in mind that yeah. you would like to tell a story about? There's
1: there's one that I, I really love making, and that's the Maple Sunday. Oh, <laughs> I have yet to have that one yet, so, but I've heard good things. Yeah, so we, um, and this was kind of on a whim, um, I... have you heard of Maine maple sunday the Mm -hmm. event that happens third third sunday of march every year um and i'd always wanted to make a maple beer and um maple sunday something that i had been visiting you know i'd been doing the go to the go to the sap house and you know watch the process you know every every spring since i was a kid and it was just one of those things where you know it's purely Maine, and you know we're from me we've been here forever i was born in portland like um so this it just seemed so wholesome and but yeah. also like very much aligned i was just like i wonder if these guys would be interested right in you know doing a beer together and i just went on the website the main maple producers association who puts on the event every year and organizes yeah. it one of the websites the general contact form and i was just like hey curious if you'd be interested in making a beer on this event you know it, our our whole thing we have a big focus on this just generally but it, um we don't like marketing to events or you know activities specific to children Mm -hmm. so that's like you know it's kind of like the joe camel thing like we don't want to you know um Mm -hmm. we don't really want to play in that arena um but so i i definitely put that in as a caveat i was like you know i know this is alcohol i know there might be some sensitivities um but this is you know it's a wholesome main event we're you know we're main guys and we just you know we want to see if there's you know a little overlap here that you know would be you know maybe fun to you know to do together yeah and the response was awesome. All of a sudden, I didn't realize how many people had access to those emails. Yeah. So I got all these emails back. And actually, I got a I got a call from the president of the Maple Producers Association. That's great. Um, he called me. And I went out. The farm was um, it's in Gorham. Yeah. It's oh, up wow. here in 10 minutes I didn't away. know yeah. that. Wow. Yeah, it's like 10 minutes away. So his, his yeah. farm is in Gorham. So I drove out there that night. They were running sap that day. And they were like, let's do it. Yeah. Um, met the whole family. They're having a potluck. It was an awesome event. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and I just showed up with a couple of like beer samples and was like, hey, everyone, do you want to make a beer with me? <laughs> yeah. um, so it's a great story. The guy uh, Lyle Merrifield. We still work with him. He's over at Merrifield, Merrifield Farms. Yes. Um, he supplies all of our syrup still. Um, oh, great. And we, we started with a small batch on that you know, maple, we launched it on maple Sunday, mm-hmm. come get it this day nice. only. Like, ha ha ha. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 like yeah. come sell it. Go, go eat your pancake breakfast and then come get a beer. Yeah. Um, and we made, you know, we made a small amount of it that first year sold it out immediately. And we're yeah, just like, sure. this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for me, like I really, you know, speaking again to the culinary side, mm-hmm. again, I'm not a chef. I'm not a cook. I have no experience in that arena, but I love the interplay. Yeah. Um, and to be able to sort of integrate, you know, food products or, shift that spotlight you know we get a lot of attention i mean beer is just it's a very romanticized industry yeah and to shift some of that spotlight towards a local producer who maybe doesn't get the same type of you know eyes generally um i love that Mm -hmm. um and i love being able to um you know talk about the culture here in Maine in that way yeah. to a broader audience you know outside of Maine um so hopefully you know we brewed it for four or five years now it's four yep. yeah yeah um wow. brewed yep. a ton of it this year you should see how much maple yeah, syrup it's crazy yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's from, so much syrup
2: I mean we probably did five to ten barrels of first year yeah. and this year was probably about 160 to yeah. 200 and wow. I mean, yeah. it was featured in Hannaford um you really? know we, we had a really Jeez. nice mm-hmm. donation component for for Maine Farmland Trust as well this year oh, so we, we scale it every year every year we try and make get just a little bit bigger nice. um and i think that donation piece was helpful um to kind of replace the draft that we were missing this mm-hmm. year with, with we really couldn't feature it you know in restaurants yeah the way we'd like to so it was nice to to kind of round it out in a different way
3: and
1: i mean even you know this year is obviously hard on them too because they, the mm-hmm. last two years they've been able to have their maple sunday mm-hmm. so to be able to continue to support them hopefully it's given them some attention and you know gets yeah. people yeah. aware you know we launch it now we launch a little early um right. you know just as a, it's not quite a seasonal but it has a specific time of year that we release it so that yeah. people people will see on the shelves and be like oh yeah gotta go to maple sunday right, you know, right.
0: If, it's like a n- nice, um, friendly Reminder. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, those those sort of beer food crossovers, I think, are are something that we've done a number of times. I mean, we, we can talk about the Holy Donut beers. It's a different <laughs> different. I <name>. know. <laughs> Actually, that was my next question. Is, is
0: like, I know I've seen tons of collaborations mm-hmm. you've done with Holy Donut. So how did that yeah. happen?
1: Um, one of our employees at the time knew there. I can't remember the position that of marketing. I think. Yeah, yeah, their marketing oh, department. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we, I can. We just. A lot of these ideas just spur out of thin air yeah. from the staff, and it was just, you know, it'd be really fun. Um, and one of our one of our employees had, on a small level, um, brewed a beer with donuts, and I oh, was like, wow. oh, you know who, you know what donuts I love is the Holy Donut, and then you know, guy who worked for us was like, I know those guys. It's like, well, yeah. let's call them, <laughs> and that's really how it started. That's yep. awesome. At and Lone Pun,
2: just- if there's a, a coffee. Talk at nine a.m. Usually by noon we're already running with the idea. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. You guys run fast. That's
1: great. There's no hesitation. So yeah, we set a meeting with uh with them. They they thought it was a great idea. We had and we I think wanted to go all in on the branding and the concept and all that, and which I think they appreciated. Um so yeah, we've got an agreement in place with them to um keep making, you know. Uh, beers modeled after their donuts. Actually, today we're making a hard seltzer modeled after one of their no. donuts. <laughs> a hard seltzer? Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, that that's that news is dropping here. Like, oh. I, we haven't told anybody. Oh, okay. Um, so that's that, good. that's no, right now. I'm getting the
0: scoop. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: So yeah, that that I just had the conversation with them last week. Again, the, the ideas move quickly. Oh um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, pitched that idea to them last week, and then you know we're putting it on paper. The label just came in yesterday, um, wow. so that'll be that'll be released in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it's it's really been you know they're they're a main brand who has you know similar ambition and mm-hmm. similar um, you know base of consumers who like right. like. Like things that are you know artistic and yeah. a little you know and thoughtful uh, in terms of their products, rather than being sort of mass market. So we see a lot of overlap with the attitudes towards the customer. So yeah. it just seemed like a, a marriage that um, would really work out well mm-hmm. um, between the two brands. So um, they've been awesome. I I love the staff over there. I'm, I good. live right across or right nearby to the Scarborough one now. Oh, um, cool. So I I was actually just there this weekend. Traded some beer for some donuts. Nice. Like, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's the way to do it. Beer yep. and donuts in the morning. The yep. <laughs> way to go. Sorry. <laughs> exactly
1: um so yeah and they, they've been great they drop off donuts for us to use in the beer uh, we actually wow. use it and in, in the product which um you know a lot of people have you know some purists probably take offense to but um <laughs> um i've had a lot of again speaking to the very specific podcast I've, I've been on a very specific podcast about oh, right. yeah about sort of you know we use that as a way to sort of break down the barrier of people who are a little intimidated by craft yeah. beer um once you can get them in on the conversation, yeah, here's, you know, here's an authentic Pilsner, you know, we can have that conversation after we've actually been able to sort of lure you into the craft beer world. And there's no better way to do that than, you know, include some ingredients that are adjacent to beer and we'll get people, you know, involved in the craft beer conversation. So um, that's really sort of the angle we're taking on, on those types of beers. Yes. There's a little bit of a marketing aspect to it and all of that, but you know, it does, it does add complexity. We, sure. we want a GABF medal with a beer mm-hmm. that no. is brewed with waffle cones. Like, so. no way. that <laughs> yeah. is
0: awesome. Oh, I love waffle cones. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So
1: there's, I mean, again, speaking to sort of the food beer sort of, um, overlap, um, we, we do exploit it in some ways. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely, I like to say, you know, beer again, speaking, comparing it to wine, you can't, wine is one thing it's, you know, it's right. grapes and it's yeah, and and yeast and you know you ferment it and and the terroir and all those things you know there's definitely a craft involved don't get me wrong i admire everything that the wine industry does you know um i enjoy my wine myself yeah um but with beer i i like to make the analogy that you can really kind of paint with all the colors like right. there's a lot of there's a lot of flavor um that's out yeah. there in the world that you can impart into beer yeah. um whether it's through adjunct ingredients or just the you know grains hops um, water and yeast that you have here, just mm-hmm. exploiting those in the right way, can really sort of create this broad spectrum of flavor, um, which you really don't have quite the same control over in the wine process. Right. You're just trying to. Say, um, yeah. So it's, it's a little bit different, and I I prefer I prefer be creating beer in that way because there's a lot more that you can do on a blank canvas with beer.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long does it take you from idea to product? It's sometimes
1: <laughs> 10 minutes, and sometimes. A year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you have to think about all those details because it's like the waffle cone's the donut. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Do you ever like get worried about that like if it's just not going to work or if you've had cases where it's like okay god that was a flop man we've to like go back to the drawing board <laughs>
1: there have been times of course and we don't release those thankfully <laughs> um but no actually uh this month i just got the uh i just got the final um the final delivery date for the equipment that's going into anderson street we oh. when we left we cut, sort of stripped the place down um we still packaged bottle product products over there but had nice. no uh, actual um, you know, production system, Mm -hmm. uh, we were just doing, uh, blending and bottling. Um, and now we've put in a smaller system. that's about a quarter the size of the the brewing system here, Mm -hmm. um, which will allow us to really start going outside of our typical creativity bounds. Um, so the smaller batches are less risky. Um, you know, we can do a lot more tinkering and it'll be mostly tasting room only releases coming out of that facility. Um, over here, because we are dealing with a larger volume, it's a lot more meticulous in the planning phases um, to make sure that the beers are going to be kind of exactly what we're, what we're expecting. Um, Mm -hmm. And we also, we, we, I like to say, we kind of put the, it's a little bit like bumper bowling. Like we, Mm -hmm. we put some bounds on how far outside of our, of our box we're willing to play um, here. So we, we definitely push the um, innovation envelope, but Mm -hmm. in very sort of um, how do I put it? In sort of very calculated ways, mm-hmm. um, we're saying we're gonna, you know, we're gonna tweak this, you know, water addition to see like how that improves mouthfeel. We're gonna change our dry hop timing. Like these things aren't, they're not gonna risk the beer going bad. They're gonna change flavor um, right. and they're gonna change potentially, you know, mouthfeel and um, those sort of m- more minute aspects of the final product. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll do that for a new release and just sort of see what kind of results we get compared nice. to compared to our prior experiences. Yeah. Um, and then sort of learn from that and then move forward. Um, yeah. So there is a little bit of tinkering, but I wouldn't say it's like wholesale new changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're still That's sort exciting. of playing in some lanes here that are are safe on yeah. the on a large scale. Oh, yep. I'm
0: sure. That's exciting. Yeah. That's great. And so the, what does the future hold for you guys? Like over the next five years, like it seems like, <gasps> do you guys think you'll stay <laughs> in this facility where you go um, to another location? I mean, you guys have been growing like crazy. So I, can, I say five years and you guys could be
2: I think huge. every every... <laughs> six months we surprise ourselves where we are the next six months right. it's we threw
1: the first business plan i told you that we presented to the bank we threw out the window within three days of opening and it's been every time we try to plan it's just been out the window and um some of that's you know it's it's great as long as you're growing um we're sort of perpetual pessimists so we're always mm-hmm. p- plan- we're always planning and preparing for you know any type of you know not to say that we wanted a pandemic to happen by any means, but we were kind of prepared for any sort of thing like this to sort yeah. of happen. So it's not only just like, where do you want to be, but what kind of sort of, I guess, planning do we want to put in place to just be ready for changes, right. wholesale changes in the market that could come. Yeah. I mean, shipping beer is becoming a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, out of state, there's some legislation that's being worked on now to you know allow us to ship beer out of state. And OK, what does that's that great. do to change the business? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously all the changes that have been implemented from the pandemic in terms of outdoor dining and mm-hmm. um, and that type of service has changed a lot of things. Um, for us, we, you know, our ambitions are just to continue to serve the public. I mean, we mm-hmm. for, you know, since we've started and even until now, have just sort of tried to respond to the consumers and their demands. We we don't want to have lines out the door and star people product and turn people away. We right. want to try to make as much as we you know can to. To satisfy the people who want it and we want to try to get it into the hands of people who are interested in it yeah um you know that has led us to 16 states and four mm. countries up to this point oh
0: my goodness. Um, wow congratulations thank
1: you um yeah. it's that's been a, a ride yeah. but um but yeah you know if people want it we're gonna try to get it there yeah. um and we we sort of made that pact early on and it all kind of winds back to the retail days where I had to turn a lot of people away and it's just, I hate doing that. I, you know, if you're interested in drinking an OJ and you're in Japan, like we figured it out. Yep. (laughs) Yep.
0: What advice would you give to someone who wants to open up a brewery? Listen in my husband, (laughs) (laughs) kid.
1: From a business side or from a creativity side? Oh, both. From a business side, be adaptable. Mm -hmm. Just be ready for change because it's inevitable. Every plan that you make plan for a plan B, plan C, plan D, um, just be, be ready to move your feet. Um, because a, a lot of it is dictated by, you know, forces around you and don't be sort of don't get caught up in the small stuff that really doesn't have a big, I mean, we used to get, I mean, even today, we, you know, John was upstairs at the ceiling over something that resolved itself this morning. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, good. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good problem. To yeah. Have. And so th- those sorts of things, I mean, the, the thicker skin, you can get to some of the, some mm-hmm. of that stuff oh, earlier yeah. on, I think will be a benefit. So you can just continue to calmly focus on the product and right. on serving the customers.
2: Yeah. Um, I think choosing your partners wisely that mm-hmm. might be topical for you guys <laughs> especially but I think you um, to speak to the adaptability' you know we never would have been able to grow the way we did if we didn't have we weren't on the same page and trusted you know the the decisions we were making that we'd had to make extremely quickly right. and you know some of them were very kind of high pressure decisions and high risk decisions and um, just being on the same wavelength and yeah. having commonality and goals and ethos in general and how to run a company, um, I think has been a really big part of why we've been successful.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's similar goals specifically.
1: I mean, if Mm -hmm. someone wants to stay small and someone wants to get big, that becomes a problem quickly as all of a sudden there's a lot of attention on you and what do we do next? Um, so yeah, it's definitely a, a part of that is, um, is making sure your vision is kind of the same. Um, but then on the product side, um, Know your water and know your yeast was probably the best advice I got very, very early on. Yeah. Um, for the most part, we're all getting the same grains. We're getting the same hops. I mean, we select our hops and we, you know, we look for characteristics within each variety that play very well with, you know, the products that we make. Mm-hmm. But everybody's kind of got access to the same ingredients from the agricultural side. Right. So the being able to manipulate your yeast well and knowing what the water is going to do to your product are are the key, yeah. um, and I got that advice at <laughs> the Great Lost Bear <laughs> as, <Really? laughs> a, as a, as like a twenty-three-year-old like who was just wide-eyed and you know hopeful to get into this industry someday. Right. Um, from a from a brewer who was you know doing it for a living, and that was the advice he gave me, and that's the advice that I continue to pass along. Um, and then just, I mean, in terms of your brand identity, just. For us, what's, I guess, gotten us here so far is we take our beer very, very seriously. You know, mm-hmm. we have, you know, we've invested massively in in our lab and making sure quality control um, is in place and, you know, that our processes are tight. Our SOPs are up to date. Right. Um, but don't take yourself too seriously has been kind of our mm-hmm. sort of mantra, yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of I see a lot of other breweries who really are winding themselves up um, a lot and there's a it seems a little bit it gets a little high schooly here in Maine sometimes where people are you know people are comparing themselves to each other a lot and I think yeah. the more we we did that early on and I think it kind of um it was unhealthy right. I think the more you just right. the more you just focus on you yeah. I think the the sooner you do that the the more you'll sort of you know be able to see the path forward mm-hmm. yeah um, more quickly so yeah, yeah that would be the advice
0: would you say that um the community mm-hmm. of breweries that are here it sounds like you've um have great connections and partnerships with them and it's kind of like they all kind of help one another out sometimes i see them as competitors and sometimes they don't and i yeah. want to hear it from an inside you know insider like you guys like yeah. do you guys sort of lean on each other as like being a part of the community or is it kind <laughs> of a co- competitive nature uh, no it's absolutely
2: um <laughs> you know rising tide lifts all ships just like you know rising tide saying that's uh, everyone's working together um you know when we were when we started, I think we probably had a resource from every brewery <laughs>
1: in our area helping wow. us more <laughs> yeah. more recently and relevantly. We ran out of Citra hops last week, and we had just loaned, or sorry, we ran out of Centennial hops and we had just loaned Sebago, Citra hops, so mm-hmm. we just traded back. I mean, we, oh, okay. we we see stuff like that all the time. where That's you know awesome. we're sort of sharing resources when needed. Um, but it comes down from the top. I think early on, um, the Brewers Guild, you know for us, when we first opened, kinda had it drilled into our heads that hey, you know, Maine has a really good chance in the next five or ten years to put itself on the map as a location and a destination for beer. Yeah. Um, you know, the foundation has been set by a lot of the high quality producers that have come before us, like Allagash and um you know Shipyard Sebago, those guys um who have a national megaphone, you know, to attract people here. Um but really the smaller guys opening up over the last five or you know five or ten years have really in improved on that community um and really made this a destination we understand that you know the more people we can get to pay attention to this space the better Mm -hmm. it is for everyone Um, and that's sort of lifting each other up through you know quality um sharing resources sharing information um i mean we're always talking to the other breweries in east bayside about sort of what's going on in the neighborhood because every weekend is different and um you know we want to make sure we're all in tune with you know, kind of what's happening around the neighborhood. Um, right. So we all have those conversations, you know, pretty frequently um, yeah. in the tasting rooms even. So, um, yeah, it's a great, you know, it's a great place to, we call it sort of East Bayside was kind of like the neighborhood. It was a great place mm-hmm. to kind of grow up as yeah. a brewery, you know, where you have all these sort of neighbors around you who are in the same space and are in the, you know, with same similar interests and similar ambitions. And, right. you know, we can all sort of share in the, you know, the triumphs and the trials. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a great place to sort of cut our teeth.
0: I love hearing that. I, I find that it's not just in the uh, brewery industry. It's it's like the maker industry here in Maine. Like everybody supports one another and getting to, you know, accomplish their goals and what they want to do and leaning on folks for resources and tips and tricks of the trade. So I love hearing that's mm-hmm. very similar concept to what you guys are dealing with. And this kind of leads to my last question is why Maine? <laughs> why Maine? Why be here in this lovely state? I know you guys are from here, but just want to, listen to, to hear what, you know, why you chose this location. And then also, has it helped your brand at all?
1: Sure. I mean, Maine, like you mentioned, is a, it's a proud state. You know, yeah. we, you know, we're sort of individualists up here in some ways pull up your bootstraps do it yourself do the hard work and and reap the rewards um and I think we sort of share in that mentality in a lot of ways but I mean Maine's been home forever like I said I was I was born on the hill in Portland um and then you know moved to Saco lived there my entire adult life minus college in a year in Boston um and then moved back immediately and you know this is forever home and it's where I would I wouldn't have considered I don't think making a a business anywhere else it's just it mm-hmm. wasn't really an option you yeah know? in my mind it's just like this is the place where I'd, I would want to do it um yeah. like you mentioned the community is great you know once you're in Portland for any stretch of time you start to kind of know the community you, right you know it's it's big but it's also quite small yeah. um so to be sort of plugged into that makes you feel part of something bigger than yourself in a lot of ways and you don't get lost in oh, something that's sure. you know
2: too big to to handle
1: yeah
0: mm-hmm. how about you John?
2: I mean, no, a lot of that. I mean, we are we are Maine. I mean, kind of through and through. It's where we grew yeah, up. Yeah. Um it's I, I think there's a certain aspect of it of making beer, even just for our family and friends, is kind of yeah. a really cool I'm sure. part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In terms of, you know, we have friends from high school who are employees of ours. Tom's That's dad awesome. works here. It's um, right. it's kind of one of those things where you always dream of something like that happening, yeah. you know, in the future, and we actually were able to make it happen. So um, it feels amazing to just work with, you know, childhood friends and um serve you know your high school friends
0: right (laughs) right yeah just go grab a beer at Lone Pine and mm -hmm. you know and have a conversation that I'm sure it's nice to just like play off ideas and just experiences Mm It's great you're bringing Mm -hmm. such a good community together
2: yeah and I think we just have resources all around even you know just as small as you know insurance or legal like we just we grew up here we know everyone in the community for any any service you know you need as a business so um Really, we just started with Friendly Fire from day one, which was yeah. great.
1: Yeah, The roots are dug deep now, and it'd be it'd be tough to tear those yeah. out. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you guys so much. Um, again, uh, Lone Pine Brewery on Makers of Maine. Um, I'll definitely link their website in the uh, notes of the podcast. Thank you again for thank being you. on the podcast.
1: Thanks a lot. Tons of fun.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Makers of Maine. And thank you to John and Tom for being on the podcast. If you'd like to see visuals of their tasting room and brewing space in Gorham, please follow the Makers of Maine Instagram and Facebook. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook. I will also link their website and social media handles in the notes section so you can follow along their journey and keep up to date on new beer launches. Now for our future musician is the ghost of Paul Revere. The band includes Max Davis, Sean McCarthy, and Griffin Sherry. All were born and raised in the great state of Maine. They recently launched a new album, and they will be touring in Europe this year. So I'm very excited to see this growth, as this band is certainly a favorite here in Maine. I did a Q&A article with the entire band and have it posted on the Makers of Maine website. This is one of their latest singles, Good at Losing. Thank you all again, and stay safe and healthy.
3: Smoke and shame, even after you're gone. I didn't learn a thing. Well, every night I lie awake, wishing for another day. If there's one thing I've learned about life, my friend, you get good at losing everything. If there's one thing I've learned about life, my friend, you get good. Bless your mom for asking how I am In and out of love and pacing around again She's stronger now than I've ever been Gotta keep it together, man, I'm losing it Every time I look up, another year has passed us by If there's one thing I've learned about life you get good at losing everything if there's one thing i learned about life my friend you get good at losing everything thing I learned about life, my friend You get good at losing everything And there's one thing I learned about life, my friend You get good at losing everything And there's one thing